Welcome back, everybody. I have a distinct pleasure of speaking to somebody who we've all been watching and listening to for a long, long time. Um, on the program is Jim Meskimen. He's an actor, he's a voice actor, he's an improviser, he's an artist. He has more credits that, on IMDb than any person that I have. Uh, as a matter of fact, he has combined more credits than two of the top people that I've had on my show in terms of their credits in addition to each other. So <laughs> welcome to the program, Jim. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alan. It's nice to yeah. talk to you. By the way, I just, you know, well, full disclosure, I mean, uh, uh, IMDb credits can be everything from, you know, a scene in a TV show where you walk in the door and go, is anybody going to eat this ham? Uh, mm -hmm. To starring in a TV series. So <laughs> a lot Great. of those a lot of those credits I have are, are, are pretty brief little little appearances. Hey, listen, those brief, uh, pretty brief appearances have been in some of the most uh, loved uh, uh, popular shows of all time. So that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to uh, to name one that uh, that you've done. Actually, more than a few uh, brief appearances. Um, but what I love about your career and you know, as I, as I did my deep dive, I thought I knew you just because I've seen you on the screen for so long. But and I I knew about uh, your impression work, but I had no idea just how much stuff you've done, how much voiceover stuff you've done. As a matter of fact, one of the first things that I've encountered is a uh, very lovely actress, uh, Hazuki Kato, uh, who uh, was on the show this week, is right. Garrison Seven. And right. um, you know, you're you're the voice of Garrison Seven, the uh, the audio book, and then you're in the movies as well. So I found that very synchronous. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I've not met her and not had the pleasure to meet her yet. That's a very interesting project, uh, Garrison Seven. And yeah, I, and I uh, lately, uh, people uh, on the radio will hear me as Colonel Sanders, and on television too, advertising fries. We got fries. I do Colonel Sanders' voice for a lot of their advertising. I didn't even know that. See, and that's um, what what I want everybody to walk away from <clears throat> from this interview. Aside from a lot of fun that we're about to have, is just how much you put into this and how much you determine your own career. And I love, uh, again, in one of the interviews, you were talking about your mom, um, mm -hmm. you know, Marion Ross, who, uh, who's, you know, wonderfully known and iconic actress who we all know, but by watching her and by, you know, learning from her, you understood that if you have a career, great. If you don't have a career, do something about it and continue writing, continue, you know, exploring different avenues. And that's what you've done. That's why you have 300 credits. Um, honestly, and I'm not trying to you know, appease you in any way, but I am uh, heartened by seeing that you never stop. I'm looking at your YouTube videos and you're putting out so much content that you are not really allowing for any break because you are making things happen. And that's what we have to do as actors. You can't just be an actor. You have to do many things. So, yeah, thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate that. that's a really nice validation, and it's true. I learned a lot from watching my mom, and uh, we, luckily we have a similar temperament. My mother and I are, are rather similar, and uh, similar interests, and uh, I dare say a similar sense of humor. And so I, I I'm just more comfortable being very energetic uh, and attacking life rather than waiting. And as it turns out, philosophically, it's just it's a lot more effective to to reach out and to be proactive. And I think more and more people are waking up to that now, especially as it becomes like a matter of life and death. We mm -hmm. all start to gravitate towards certain you know realities. Yeah, um, one of the videos that I watched uh, from yours is the wash your hands uh, video, uh, which you are again. This is. I love it uh, tremendously because you're utilizing the latest technology, which is the deepfake technology. You're mm -hmm. utilizing social media. You're utilizing YouTube. You wrote it. Uh, it's a poem, which I love mm -hmm. even more because I'm a poet, <laughs> and to me, everything has to rhyme as a poetry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you're doing all of the impressions. It's just it's a combination of all things. Like it's similar to going to a Cirque du Soleil, where your brain doesn't know which part to love because all of them are happening at the same time. It's great. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I thought that I really, uh, I, I really thought that would go viral, Alan. I tell you, <laughs> what do you have to do? But still, it, it's a very nice little piece. And it's, uh, there's a guy in England that I work with that does a deep fake. I don't, I don't handle the technical part of it myself, the deep fake. I'm, it's, it's, a, it's really 
quite difficult to do it well. It's mm -hmm. uh, uh, there. Are, I know there are a lot of consumer level apps that handle it, I guess, but you can always kind of tell it's lower stiff and a little bit, you know, funky. So uh, my friend now, uh, a guy named Sam in, in Manchester, England, Shamuk is his name, uh, his, his handle anyway. He does all the deep fakery and we've had a few of them do very, very well. And yeah, but that's a perfect example. I thought, well, now here's a, here's an opportunity to take a little more time, do something a little more of a quality nature, like writing the poem took a long time, as you can imagine, uh, and then figuring out, well, who's going to say what and rehearsing it and finding a place to shoot, someone to help me shoot it. My friend Serge Romelli, a photographer, helped shoot it. And uh, and it was very exciting. And I think it's a I think it's a really nice and weird piece because it's the first one I've done where uh, two characters of mine are on the screen at the same time as one is leaving and others entering and they, they have this kind of progression which i didn't even know if technically we could do that I, i'd seen it in movies but i didn't know if it was affordable serge romelli figured it out and it's a it's a cute video and you know it had a message i thought hey it's got everything <laughs> um i you know we're gonna post it right below this video so please oh, right. uh, look at the description we'll check it out uh, we're gonna link a YouTube, uh, you know, channel here. I've I've subscribed to it, obviously. Um, I I don't see why it wouldn't go viral. The only you know two reasons why I think it might not is because the whole idea of wearing masks and washing hands has become so politicized that a part of the population simply wants to ignore it. Uh, very likely. Very likely. Second is just because there's so much content out there on YouTube. Uh, one really struggles uh, to know what is going to go where. And I've looked at your SEO because, again, as a YouTuber, you know, I look at that stuff and I have the, I have the technology uh, to see it. And your SEO is great. Your tags are great. Your description is great. Everything is set up. So, you know, why it didn't go viral? Now, I certainly got uh, you know, quite a bit of views, but it hasn't gotten to that status. Hopefully it still will. I, I see everything that it should uh, in order to do so. Well, it's a fun game. I, the, when I got onto YouTube, I had some early success, mm. and uh, that that's very buoying. You know, when something actually goes viral, it's it's crazy. And, uh, but you can't um, you can't design it. You, all you can do, I think, is sort of treat. I, what I do is I treat it as a kind of a two things. It's a hobby because it's fun, yeah. and it has no you know instant purpose, I guess, and as promotion. As free promotion that I actually I get I actually get paid for my promotion, whereas mm -hmm. I used to spend a lot of money sending out video cassettes and audio cassettes to people to try to interest them in my skills. I'd spend thousands of dollars every year doing that. Now I get paid hundreds of dollars yep. uh, to promote myself and with much more um, uh, broad reaching kind of uh, effect you know I can get people in England and Switzerland and, and Sweden and South America and Europe to to be interested in my work and contact me I you know it, it's just fun yeah and has that helped the Jim Pressions uh, part of the business have people been reaching out uh, for that yeah yeah I think it, it just helps in general uh, it used to help uh, when I could go and do live shows it would help with that and uh, I went yeah. to Australia and some other places Canada so yeah, I just think it's good to good for actors to, well, it, it's good on many levels, right? Because to create a, a piece like that or any mm -hmm. of the more complex stuff that I do, you know, you're you're acting, you're memorizing lines, you're taking on characters, you're you're lighting yourself, you're figuring out how to move, you're trying to embody another another personality mm -hmm. that's acting, you know. So it's good practice. Yeah, and wow. it's you could make a friend. Yes, well, you certainly made one in me uh, because I, I've been a fan now. Now I'm an avid fan, so uh, it it really my category. Um, speaking of again, you you have a varied background because you do a lot of voiceover work, you do impressions, uh, and then you do on screen. Um, I don't really even know which one started first, so I guess that's my question to you: which one started? I think it was voiceover that started it, right? That's right. Yeah, I was a visual artist, actually, uh, in my first career. So when I went to New York in my 20s, I was working as a, an illustrator, designer, cartoonist. Uh, I'd been trained in fine art as well, but I, I didn't I didn't find it easy to leap into that that world. Um, although I still do a, a little bit of it now just for my own uh, 
my own sake, my own sanity. Uh, but yeah, I started off, uh, I was working for a company called Rankin Bass on a show called Thundercats. I was designing the cartoon characters for that show. And they had an, they knew I was uh, studying improv and they'd come to some of my improv shows and they were very kind to me. And uh, Jules Bass was really, really a sweetheart. Uh, and uh, they said, hey, we got a new series that we're going to launch. If you'd like to audition for it, just come downstairs at four o'clock. Right. Yeah. I, like, I, I think I can fit that in. <laughs> I think I can take a break and go down and audition for your series. So I, and I booked it. So uh, that was my first. Uh, and at the same time, I had been auditioning for radio commercials and TV voiceovers and stuff like that. But that was my first really massive kind of break because we did 65 episodes of this of two, basically two small series, which was part of the four pack of silly shows that they were doing. Uh, and then from there, I built it up into commercials, TV commercials, and I did a lot, a lot of commercials in New York. It was in the 80s, and you could make a good living off of commercials at that time. Uh, it's harder today. It was pre-cable. You know, there were three channels, so all the all the paychecks were very high. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was a young man. I was uh, in my 20s. I was exactly the kind of Midwestern-looking person that advertisers desperately wanted to reach to, reach out to. And, uh, and I had all this improv training. So I was kind of young and cocky and insouciant, and uh, I didn't do voices particularly. I didn't do, although I had the ability, I didn't do, my, it wasn't even a part, really a major part of my business at all, uh, doing impressions. I did them in, my sh in the shows that I did with my improv company, Interplay, but um, now it's, it's pretty much a mainstay. It's, it's pretty much almost all I do. Which is funny, you know, it's because I've I've aged out of being someone that I think that advertisers generally want to sell to. Uh, with the caveat that I don't do certain kinds of advertising that advertisers <laughs> would like very much to sell to a person of my age. I don't do uh, over-the-counter drugs, the Viagra's, the uh, you know whatever. <laughs> Turn your turn your spleen upside down, daily pills, whatever. I don't do any of that stuff. So, yeah, it, it's a choice, right? So, um, uh, I, I certainly understand that. I thankfully, as I got into the acting world, because all of the commercials on TV, especially the commercials for all sorts of drugs, you know, were really kind of as an empath, they were really difficult for me to watch because I had a feeling that these were actor, uh, you know, driven. But you naturally have, you know, empathy for the for the people who are suffering. And as I got into the acting, as I, you know, learned from the background of what it's actually like, and these are actual actors who are doing this, and these are not people who are sick. You know, it made my life a lot easier. <laughs> but yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and I believe I mean, my my wife and I we pursue a very healthy lifestyle, and we don't we just don't take those drugs. And even though we're in our sixties now, we you know we just. That's not our that's not our go to solution. So I don't feel right uh, promoting it. You know, one time uh, I just story still flabbergasts me, but it's talking about voiceover. Right. So I, I've told my agents, hey, listen, don't send me any sleeping pill commercials because I'm not going to do them. Right. And by accident, one time they sent me one and I had not seen a script for decades. <laughs> and in the in the little thing that I had to read, it said in the disclaimer at the bottom, it said, about this sleeping medication, you may find that you have been unconscious and driving uh, after taking this medication. And I'm like, who would read such a thing? Who who would actually kind of put try to sugarcoat that with their nice announcer chops? It just blew my mind. Like you're getting your, you be you're so zoned out that you might get in your car and drive around a little bit and not know of it. It's it's sad, and I again trying to think globally right if uh if if a person is really ill and they have a choice to make between living and having a whole host of uh, potential side effects you make the choice of living i get it right. but right. watching the commercials and you know um, we're not going to name any of them but we all know what we're, we're talking about and having a commercial showing people happy uh, and then hearing all of the side effects that <laughs> blow your mind is like, why would somebody actually do this? That's that's the part that always was interesting to me. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to do too many uh, too many voiceover uh, spots. So, 
haven't encountered uh, it yet, haven't had the opportunity to decline. But you know, political well, spots as well. Uh, political uh, spots, another one. Yeah, that's, those are yeah. also very difficult. Yeah, you have to make your judgment about that. What are you going to do? What are you going to support? Are you, are you just a complete whore? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've yeah. I've done it all, you know. I've I've made all kinds of choices. But these I've backed out of this this uh, particular election cycle, a hundred almost a hundred percent. Although I did do I don't know. You probably saw the video I did. Of, uh, yeah. that, that that was for my own pleasure. It was for my own relief. It's like let me I, let me imagine something. I felt like after the first debate, I had to respond. You know, how sometimes you have to respond to a work of art or an event or somebody's comment. And so that was my response. They're in the elevator and they really, really love each other. Yes. And a lot of people um, told me they got a lot of relief from it. So maybe it's it's that you know Quentin Tarantino of taking some tragedy <laughs> yeah. and, and alternate universing it uh, to, to come to a good conclusion. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I definitely like that part. Uh, I do have a comment for you that I'm gonna say offline about that particular one that I've noticed. Okay. That, um, I look forward to it. Um. I, I did the I didn't do the same thing, but I had to respond to uh, to what happened during the uh, during. Sure, we'll, we'll call it a, we'll call it a debate. Uh, yeah. you know, so I I had to write. You know, I'm a writer. I had to write. So I had two choices, and I had a choice of writing writing my usual long uh, you know expose, and then starting a war on on social media, or I could just write a couplet and uh, make it make it um, so kind of inconspicuous where I can say what I feel about it, but then allow other people to come to their own conclusions as they're reading it. So right. I was really kind of proud of myself and I put that up on Facebook and you know it didn't generate a ton of uh, excitement because I think people couldn't understand which way I was leaning. You were sufficiently uh, vague. <laughs> and and then uh, the the flood started, and then wow. people started commenting with you know Trump 2020, and then you had people comparing Trump to Hitler, and you had all sorts of nonsense break out. And I had to delete the post because you know that's oh, not what the page is about. But yeah, I I wrote. <laughs> It was it was kind of a delayed you know a delayed bomb, uh, but it did go off. So. Awesome man, that's great. It's very artful. It's very artful. I I appreciate that impulse. I I that's what I try to do too. Sometimes like how can I be super artful and yeah. not just stick a flag in the ground and not bloody anybody's nose, but somehow turn this into something that people can just kind of go you know and because what happens is these events they sort of stack up on you. And you're like carrying around this thought, and all you can think about is this horrible thing. You want something to just kind of go and have it disappear. And the arts do that for you. You can do that that way. So we're always, you and I, we're trying to figure out how to do that. We we do. I, I learned the um, I learned over the last you know number of years that um, I have the ability to start conversations, and it's up to me to make sure that the conversations that I start are going to be ones that help foster the growth of humanity not the decline of it so that's great yeah i'm glad you chose that side it's it's hard because i i i do have strong feelings and i i wish sometimes i allow myself the opportunity to actually write what i what i say and then i go back and i remember abraham lincoln uh that he would write the letters but never send them so i i have a lot of things in in my uh in my computer that i have never posted for that wow. particular no, I, don't, I don't know that about Lincoln. That's interesting. Uh, that's what I remember from uh, from the uh, from the movie with uh, the last uh, movie uh, that he would Double not. D, D. Lewis. Yeah, that he would. Uh, he wrote a. He dictated a letter to one of the generals, uh, uh, stating his displeasure, and mm. that uh, said, "No, don't send it." Um, so had to get it out of his system, but didn't want to you know, uh, do anything more with it. So. Um, so when did you start uh, doing, uh, I know you've mentioned during your improv uh, uh, kind of career yeah. you were doing impressions, but when did you start doing more and more impressions and what was your first one that you ever did? Oh, well, I'll answer the uh, second question first. So I think I, you know, I get asked this question a lot and I usually say that, uh, and I haven't found a better answer really, I, you know, going way back into when I was a toddler and I think I, uh, I think I did the Cowardly Lion from uh, 
from Wizard of Oz, the Burt Lahr character. Pretty sure yeah. I tried to emulate that. Uh, and when I got started in earnest and really pursuing uh, the Impressionist path, or the one that, anyway, the Impressionist path that I've sort of created, because I, I, I would do them on and off. In fact, it's what got me onto the Fresh Prince. You mentioned the Fresh Prince a while ago. I had been on um, an episode of Whose Line, and I'd done some impressions on that show. Yeah. And they, they, the Whose Line people had come from England, and they, they came to New York, and they watched me perform with my improv company, and where, where I did quite a lot of impressions in the show, and so they wanted to integrate that into the show. And then the uh, Fresh Prince people saw that, and I had a friend who was a producer on the show, the late Jeff Pollock, and he asked me to come out, and it was my impressions that, sort of were a nice hook for them. And so they made me Will Smith's Western philosophy professor who also did impressions. <laughs> and it was really a pilot uh, for me, actually. It could have been a series had I had I pursued it. Uh, that's another story. But uh, so that was my entryway into doing them on, on television. But then I, what, I, what I would do is I would just kind of forget about it. I would, uh, and I, I, I think this is a flaw. I had a very successful thing, and then I would kind of get interested in other things. Uh, I was doing stuff, other interesting things. I was doing improv with my company, and I was doing, I wanted to be a serious actor too, like just doing, playing a guy rather like myself and not really imitating anybody. So I would get go off in those different directions. I also had a very thriving commercial career where I was a spokesman for different companies. And uh, so I, you know, I, I, I got distracted easily by shiny things. And, and then, then it started to get in two thousand, all the way up into two thousand eight, wow. when when the world first melted down, and we thought, wow, how that that was really challenging. Two thousand eight. Now now we would love to be in two thousand eight, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, back then I went, oh my god, I got to do something. I ha everything has stopped, uh, and it really had stopped for me. I mean, clients were not were not advertising. They were all just scared to death, and even my regular clients were like. Uh, we're not sure what we're going to do. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I thought I will do like what you mentioned before. I will do what my mother does yeah. or had done in those days, uh, which was if she was not working on a TV show, she would go and do a play. Mm -hmm. And I don't really have any lines into the theatrical community particularly, but I know I can always put on my own show. So mm -hmm. I constructed a new show and um I'd done one man sh shows uh, with impressions and things ongoing every now and then, you know, just to kind of stir things up. Yeah. But I started it in earnest in, I'd say, 2008, 2009. And uh, it was difficult to put together. Uh, it was hard for me. Uh, but, you know, I wrote it. You know, writing is hard. And, and also you're writing for an audience that isn't there, who you don't know who they are with material like it should be pleasant. It should be funny. Uh, so I tested it. I tested a little bit, but I basically just kind of leaped into it. Okay. And then to, to promote the show, forget this is a long story. I'm sorry, but to promote the show, I thought there's this YouTube thing. And I had done a little bit on YouTube, but not too much. I didn't really understand it very much. So I thought, well, I'll do a little kind of a commercial uh, advertising my show. And maybe I'll do this uh, Shakespeare and celebrity voices that I do in the show and I've done for years. And, and maybe that'll interest people in coming to see the, the show. And that one went went legitimately viral and just really took off. And it was shocking and super fun. And uh, it opened up doors that are still opening for me, frankly. And that was in 2011. So mm -hmm. I didn't really, I, then I disciplined myself. I said, all right, it is impressions, idiot. Impressions are what people want to buy from you. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to see you do. They'll put up with the other stuff, but right now, just crank on the impressions. And that was when I really began to finally, finally at age 40 something, 48, 49, uh, really, really cranking on the impressions. Yeah. Um, and I love them. And uh, I don't, I, I've, I've lost count of how many of your impressions I've, I've seen, but if, <laughs> um, if you had to kind of say, not just which one is your favorite to do, but which one do you as the artist thinks uh, that it's your best impression. Which one would that be? Well, I tell you, I, I've not heard a lot of people do Tommy Lee Jones other than Tommy Lee Jones himself. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that's if, you know, insofar as a, an impressionist can own an impression, I think I own this one. 
Although yeah. there are lots of other people that do it. The great Fred Tatashore is, is another guy that's, that's fantastic and has many more IMDb credits than I do. Uh, and uh, George W. Bush, a lot of people do George W. Bush as well. But uh, I don't think, uh, uh, I don't recommember who they are. <laughs> and then Colin Firth is another one that I, I rather like to do. And um, mainly I am called upon to do Colin Firth when when he has some ADR to do or or they need Colin Firth to say something in a trailer and they, they can't afford him or he isn't available. And then they'll sometimes come to me. I did quite a lot of uh, Colin Firth for the 1917 campaign for that yeah. film because he's got yeah. that. He lays out a lot of exposition in that movie that they could use in trailers, but a lot of it was really long and they wanted just a little thing. So yeah. I, I had to provide a lot of versions of him saying, you'll be going out to find your brother, you know. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, I love that. And then I love your Robin, uh, by the way, as well. Oh, thank uh, you. Uh, yes, yeah. Robin Williams. Yes, I, I'm still doing every now and then the Blue Genie for, for Disney. Yeah. Uh, different applications. I always consider it a great honor to to pick up the the Robin Williams mantle. Yeah. Um, Which reminds me, I got to pick up my mantle at the cleaners later. <laughs> yes. Um, what uh, what impressed me? And again, you know, good impressionists uh, really do this, but they they tap into the energy and they tap into the um, uh, the flow. Uh, of uh, of who the person is, it's not just the mannerisms, and it's not just you know kind of the the facial uh, features, you know, you with the De Niro, for instance. But it's that it's that flow and it's that energy. And as soon as you switch, you know, you were George, for instance, and then you switch into Robin, and then your brain goes on fire. And, and yeah, you, you right. that. that that is most impressive to me because that ability to switch on a dime and go into a different energy that what constitutes a great uh, actor to me. So. Thank you. Well, you know, I've been uh, put in a little plug for my wife's acting school here. I've been yeah. studying acting kind of, uh, uh, I would say, sort of loosely over the years. I, I always felt like it was something that I already kind of knew. Of course, that's a great barrier to, to learning. <laughs> yes. Uh, but my wife has a school uh, where she teaches a, kind, a, a completely revolutionary uh, style of acting that cuts down to uh, really the, the barest fundamentals and gets the point of, and I've adopted the point of view completely because I think it's great. Uh, the school is called the acting center, by the way, in Los Angeles, and I can give you a link to it. But uh, what I've learned is that it's all about being the other person It's being someone that you're not. Yeah. So that includes so much. And what you're talking about energies and so forth, uh, a person has so many facets, you know, all of us are pretty infinite universes of stuff. We've got our background, our opinions, we've got our foibles, we've got our, our emotions of the moment. We've got uh, a lot going on. So when you are trying to be another person, it's a wonderful expedition. It's a wonderful investigation. Um, and, and so I use that automatically with my impressions and I, I always, mentioned that um, impressions are very are very easy to do of of people that you like, people you have affinity for, people that you don't mind occupying the same space as or nearly the same space as, right? And so it, it's difficult to do an impression of someone you loathe because you're not willing to accept them in the first place. So why would you want to be in their space or or act like them unless you're trying to mock them? And that's different. That's those those impressions are not quite as good. For instance, Alec Baldwin, who I respect very much, I don't think he does a very good President Trump. Hmm. I don't think he sounds like him particularly well, as much as people who seem to at least enjoy being him. Let's say there are some other uh, other impressionists that um, I think do a more technically a better sounding job. Anyway, uh, that that may be that may be overstepping, but so what I I think is the most uh, the place where acting and impressions overlap and really, really convene is on this issue of can you be that other person? And that means being them fully, being them in 360 degrees, you know, the body, the feet, the way the way they hold their, their hands. And uh, if when you can make that leap, when you have the freedom, let's say, to make that leap and to just act like that other person, 
so that it feels like that to you, then you can make some incredible discoveries. Yeah, oh, <clears throat> it's it's true, and it's uh, I think that's what is missing uh, in uh, when people are talking about acting and uh, applying different techniques. It, uh, you always hear you have to be instead of uh, act, but the path to being um, sometimes gets very confusing and more people who get into it without all of that outside baggage of what you're supposed to do and they just instinctively and intuitively snap into it those are the people that become successful and we're like oh my god they're a natural yes yeah <laughs> but they also don't have to deal with all of the other crap uh that takes as, as an actor you start here and then you start accumulating it and then finally you get back to here and you throw it away yeah, so, it's like uh, my mother's a great example of that, uh, Marion Ross. He, uh, I didn't realize she did this until recently, but she would go and sort of seek out people that were like her character, or she would talk to the person that she was portraying, you know, if they were still alive or something like that. And in general, my mother is very interested in other people, very interested in other people. And I think the best actors are. They're always watching. They're willing to, they're willing to be anybody who's in front of them, practically. Uh, in fact, you can notice sometimes with certain actors, as you talk to them, if you're in person with them, they're kind of particularly not not so much on Zoom, perhaps, but in person, they're trying. They're, they're like they're so paying attention to you. They're like being you as you're talking. I've talked to actors like that. Right. And it's yep. like and I've done it, too. Yeah. So uh, so if you have that kind of uh, uh, attitude or that kind of approach to life. You're already doing quite a bit of the work, I think. I, I agree with you completely. And that is a case in point of why my wife hates going to Hugh Grant uh, films. Because as I watch Hugh Grant films, they slowly turn to Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. And, uh, you know, she doesn't enjoy me doing accents. She just wants me to be me, which is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, thankfully, my kids enjoy it. So uh, I kind of, you know, save it for them and then now all of my kids are doing accents which i'm really really proud of uh but yeah it's uh, it's 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 an immersive experience and i think you know me being an immigrant and me coming here at 14 from ukraine i hear from people that i don't have an accent i i still think i hear an accent but um i think one of the reasons why people may say that is because of something within the ear or something uh, just within me that has the ability to pick things up a little quicker and then to uh, to utilize it. Because when I do accents, my Russian accent does not come through at all because I am plugged into that accent. When I'm just being myself, then you can hear something. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's interesting how it works. I, from Ukraine, interesting. Yeah, I, I did detect an accent. I, for some reason, I thought maybe he's from Montreal. But uh, I, I, I hear that. And, you know, speaking of, of a Russian accent, uh, you you have to do one, right? Because in, in your next uh, one of your next films, I think uh, it's called uh, Going West, right? Or uh, right. That name? Going West. Yeah. Alexander. Yeah. Well, Hahn film. yeah. yeah. Uh, you're playing. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about what they want to do with that, uh, with the uh, accent on that. I haven't. Uh, we, we're, we're not quite very close to, to filming yet, but I, I Alexander Hahn is a really funny filmmaker uh yeah. and i would love to be in this film so we'll see what happens with the accent the idea well, I, uh, for me i i have few russian friends so i will probably get together with them and to talk about things and to you know kind of absorb what it is they're saying and uh, how they're talking so yeah, you'll, you'll be able to pick it up um and i think you know what robin by the way you know what robin did for uh, one flew over uh, is he actually had uh he had a russian speaking coach who and he learned russian so uh you know the the accent came as a natural part of him actually learning the language so i'm not sure you want to go to that extent but uh yeah i'm know. not much of a polyglot but i'll uh yeah i i think it would be very useful very very useful yeah i mean it's funny how you've probably noticed this too but i i i've noticed about accents that they have everything to do with you know where in the where in the world obviously people are, but also the temperature, the dryness of an area, and all these things influence very much the way people express themselves. And 
I think it's fascinating. My mother again turned me on to that. I mean, she she would obviously do accents a lot. Uh, I don't think every mother does this, but she would she would imitate people and their accents and do British accents and and stuff. And I, I early on learned that it's fun. It's a fun activity to do it, and that you don't make fun of people. But it's it, it's that what an interesting game it is to try to figure out what kind of levers do I have to put in here and and pull and what sort of things do I constrict and what kind of vowels do I leave out or consonants do I hit? You know, it's like, a, it, it's a fun kind of game to learn how to speak like that. Absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned this, that again, it comes from the parents, right? Um, my dad and I played the game of rhyme uh, because he's a poet. All of his friends mm -hmm. are poets. And again, mm -hmm. come from, uh, from the former Soviet Union where there is a lot of emphasis on uh, on poetry. Every yeah. you know, all the poems have to rhyme. Um, it, that was a game that we played uh, when I was a child, and because of that, to me, it was a natural expression. So if I wanted to express myself, of course, I would express myself poetically, and of course, it has to rhyme. So it became a part of my life, just like you know, accents now are fueling your career. It's it's yeah, amazing. that's yeah. wonderful. My my dad was a kind of a poet too and love poetry and would read poetry out to us all the time. And yeah, mm -hmm. so I have a great affinity for poetry. I think a lot of, it may be, it, I'm going out on a limb here, but it may be a, 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 a something that all suppressed cultures uh, share is a, a love right. of the artfully, artfully put together expression that can be mm -hmm. done with nothing since since you don't have anything, they haven't, yeah. they've taken everything away from you, but you do have a vocabulary, you know, and you do have yeah. maybe a scrap of paper to write it on. And, and the purpose of your, of your, and, uh, and the brevity are very important. And so that's what, you know, so much of poetry, like rap music is basically poetry right. uh, for, by a, you know, from a very suppressed culture. So I'm just beginning this thesis, but I think it has a lot of merit. Yeah, uh, it it certainly makes sense. Uh, I I would explore that thesis uh, further. Um, you know, your one of your characters that you created, the the professor, could be uh, using professor, that for his Professor Nestor Jackdaws. Yeah, that really that was my first foray into YouTube was Professor Nestor, and I knew I could do a lot of content with him because he can just go. You know, I don't even I don't prep, I don't uh, think things through very much. I just kind of turn him on. Uh, that's it. And that is a character based on a, a man I knew who looked uh, nothing like me, but um, he was a professor that I had in, in the University of California, Santa Cruz, and his name was Jasper Rose. Mm -hmm. And he actually had long gray tresses of hair and a little Van Dyke beard and no glasses, but these eyebrows that were like yeah. Mr. Spock on steroids. And, yeah. and he was tall and uh, he wore tweed and jeans. And, and carried a cane. I mean, he was just so full of character and a bow tie as well. And I studied, uh, I took about five different courses with him. The last one was in his home where a, he was a book collector and we did a, a private, I don't know, there were probably four or five of us in his class uh, doing a book illustration, a study of book illustration. Anyway, his character and his personality was so great that I, you know, I would sit in the lecture hall and just, like you say, with uh, Hugh Grant, you know, for several hours afterwards, when I was completely like Jasper Rose, and there was you know, no difference, my dear boy, between him and I. So, so years later, decades later, uh, so strange that that he had such an impact on me that I never forgot that beingness, if you will. Decades yeah. later, when I needed to create a character for something, I was like, oh, well, I could do that. And I had it, and and then I then I adjusted it over the years to make it more my own. I got these teeth made; they're dreadful little teeth. And <laughs> yeah. the the part that you know, you know kills me in in the in the best way is that at the end the smile. His smile is perfect. <laughs> so that Very part says everything about the character that you want to know. It's great. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, okay, so. I wanted to ask you a few more questions, and again, I, I sure. you know, I'm barely getting to my questions, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't care. This is too much fun. Um, so you've, um, from a pure acting perspective, right? So uh -huh. you having this ability to tap into the uh, the energy of the person, you having the understanding of 
the way that the voice is, the way that the person carries uh, uh, himself. All of that is a part of uh, getting to know the character. You having that uh, talent and that ability, do you find that it has helped you in your on-screen, just pure acting career? Or do people perceive you in a certain way and you don't get a chance to explore that on screen? I don't think that, um, I don't think it's been an impediment at all. Okay. I think it it just makes, uh, I mean, casting people are aware of me. I've been in this town for quite a while. Right. And I think they also know uh, that I do a lot of impressions. I think I'm mostly known for that. And so I get these weird opportunities uh, that other people wouldn't get because uh, because I can do those impressions. I think the biggest impediment for me is that um, uh, it's easier to, in some ways, to to take on the personality of a well-known celebrity than it is uh, someone who is not so well-known and that you have to really research and, and get to know and, and discover. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit lazy like a lot of people and I, I, I guess I have my comfort zone and so forth. So I still have a kind of a tendency and, and I, I'm still trying to be a really great actor and I realize I'm still so many miles away from that. But I have a tendency when I get a script to go, oh, I know what this character is. I've seen this guy in movies lots of times. He's the funny uh, storekeeper who, when the hero comes in, fumfers around and wastes his time. And, but, and I'm like, well, okay, hold on. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe, maybe this guy is not just somebody you've seen in a movie before. Maybe this guy is a real guy, you know, and find something rich and specific. Because I realize... Um, if I take that approach, there's probably a lot of guys that are taking that approach. And so a lot of us inevitably are winding up playing the same guy in the audition. Yeah. And that, of course, is is not very helpful for casting. You know, it doesn't help them very much. And it doesn't help you very much because you're suddenly in competition with, you know, everyone's put on a gray suit. Here I am in my gray suit. Like, OK, well, we're going to pick that guy because he's been on a series before. You know, yeah. um, so I, I think the. Staying interested, creating interest, that, that is, for me, strangely, is one of the biggest barriers. I have to get interested. I have to, and you manufacture your own interest. It's not like it comes delivered to you like Amazon. You have to decide, like everything else today, it, you have to decide to become interested in something and to invest yourself in it. And that includes some character you've never heard of, or you, wow, this is a really strange thing, or something that's tremendously familiar, and you're like, well, how can I find a new angle on this? And that's what I think the great actors do. They find something and you're like, wow, what an interesting choice. You, nobody in the world would have made that choice. You know, when, when Christopher Walken does a part, he, it's not always Christopher Walken, you know, Al Pacino or these guys, they, they, they make very specific choices that are based on them being interested enough to look for them. Yeah. That's, Great, great advice. Thank you. Um, the last question on the impressions uh, before I move on to some other things, but um, who is your favorite impressionist uh, out there today that uh, that is working? Oh, uh, out there today that I enjoy that is working. Uh, gee, I just worked uh, with uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I have a lot of favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a guy named Piot Michael, who is ter terrific. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Ross Marquand of The Walking Dead is terrific. Yes. And I worked with Michael. both of them on a series. Uh, uh, there's a series on Amazon Prime called Impress Me, which is about impressionists, and that I starred in, and, and Ross and, and Piot. Uh, Angela Hoover is a wonderful female uh, and uh, impressionist, and Christina Bianco is a wonderful female impressionist. Um, uh, Melissa Villasenor, terrific. Yep. She's on Saturday Night Live, or, or was anyway, and uh, probably still is. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a there's a young guy that I just met that's terrific, named Chris Maroy. Okay. He's just getting started out, but uh, he showed me a video recently that spurred me to create a video of my own on his yep. 
theme called Sin Oppressions. And, and Frank Caliendo is great. I would say of the, um, of the famous ones, right. uh, you know, you can't beat Rich Little. You cannot beat Rich Little. You have to, I mean, these days his, his, his repertoire is much more limited because he's probably 80 years old now and his equipment is not what it was. Right. But that's like asking Michael Jordan to, you know. Yeah, dunk. Uh, today. Like, you know, give, give the guy a break. He was the most amazing in history. Uh, and Rich Little was the most amazing impressionist in history. He came along at a particular time uh, when television was young, when there were this, uh, you know, a vast library of movie stars that were that had very distinctive voices. Hmm. And uh, and he got to meet them. And, you know, you're in person with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. And, you know, come on. That's like being given the keys to the, to the toy box. And and he just has a particular amazing gift for mimicry that I don't think will ever be topped. So I, I got to meet him a couple of times. Finally, I sought him out and 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 uh, at least got to shake his hand and tell him how much I admired him. That's great. Um, okay. The uh, out of all of your projects that you have been on, and this is a ridiculous question given the uh, given your history and the amount of work that you've done. If you had to pick out one project uh, that you would say was your favorite, which one would that be? I would say it was uh, it was The Grinch, working on The Grinch. Uh, Ron yeah. Howard's The Grinch is Still Christmas with Jim Carrey. I worked on it for, it was, it was good in a lot of ways. It was good. Uh, I worked for four months on that movie, which is yeah. not too often that you're employed in a movie for four months. Yeah. And, and uh and it, it appealed to me on many levels. Uh, it, it was fun to be working. It was great to be working with Ron Howard again. I've done five films with Ron Howard. It was uh, great to work with Jim Carrey. Uh, I met amazing people on that show. It, it, our cast was an interesting uh, mixture of beautiful actors, you know, wonderful uh, circus performers, stunt people, uh, Cirque du Soleil people, uh, you know, great comedians, great acrobats, all of whom, you know, I got to sit around and talk to all day long. Plus makeup artists. We had 50 makeup artists. I met, I met all the best makeup artists in Hollywood at that time. Wow. Uh, some of them have gone, who, who were very young and have gone on to have amazing careers like Christian Tinsley, other people like Rick Baker, who was the head of the whole thing, who is now retired and is just messing around, as far as I can tell, creating whatever the hell he wants to on Instagram. Uh, and uh, and I love the whole process of being in contact with these artists. Um, Kazuhiro, uh, the guy who, who designed Winston Churchill's makeup for uh, the Gary Oldman Winston Churchill makeup and won an Oscar for that. I spent eight, eight days with Kazu uh, while he was doing makeup tests on my character. And that was an amazing experience. And again, he was a young, fairly young man at that time. And, and you know, I love, I, I'm an artist myself. I love to sculpt. I love to paint. I saw what they were doing and I felt like, oh, wow, I, this is great. I get to observe artwork from the point of view of the work of art itself. This is, this is very cool, you know? Uh, and it was, it was creative. And I, there was a lot of creative uh, stuff going on on the set too. And Ron Howard was very kind and let me improvise stuff. And not, not a whole lot of it made it in the movie, but <laughs> we, I think we shot about three movies worth of film uh, on that in four months. There's, there's big, big sequences that I did. I definitely remember we shot and are, are nowhere in the film. So, so that one was really interesting on many, many levels. Perfect. Uh, and you have it made on Blu-ray or, you know, uh, a anniversary Blu-ray edition uh, where, you know, all that stuff is in, I don't know. Probably, I, there's probably some behind the scenes. I think there's some crazy behind the scenes stuff uh, mm -hmm. like that and additional scenes, I'm sure. Yeah, I haven't researched it, but we, we shot a lot of stuff. They were just throwing everything. It's <laughs> a big budget movie. Yeah. Big stage. Oh, the other the other part was walking around Whoville, this enormous that was the biggest stage at Universal. And they had constructed this uh, Michael Kornblith had constructed this amazing uh, city, you know, and and every shop had all kinds of little products in it that were who based. And there was just mm -hmm. art direction 
down to the down to the square inch that you could walk around and kind of observe and crazy. It was just really super fun. I felt very very fortunate. Yeah, I, as an actor, it certainly puts you into uh, into that environment, uh, you know, much quicker. Um, I love that. And I had big shoes. I had these enormous big clown shoes. Oh yeah. my God, I wish I had those shoes today. They were just they're like double my feet and, and nice patent leather cop shoes, you know, and then little teeth. I had funny little teeth and fake ears, long eyelashes. It was great. Awesome. Uh, Jim Carrey, I think, is one of the people uh, that initially when I started acting, my whole acting was, you know, Jim Carrey, uh, his earlier films where he's just huge. And I thought that's what acting is. And very quickly I learned that. No, that's not exactly what you what you want to do. No, not um, for every not for every character for sure. Well, well, he was. I mean, talk about acting. I mean that that is acting. It is so broad. Uh, there's that early Jim Carrey stuff, the Ace Ventura stuff. But I feel like he was being a cartoon character. Yeah. You know, and that, and everything was that that level of intensity and and sort of shallowness, which mm -hmm. was hilariously funny. Yeah, um, still love those movies. It's it's one of those things where if it comes on uh, on TV, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> There's that scene in Ace Ventura too, mm -hmm. when he is inside that fake rhino, and yeah. crawling out. Oh my God, that is one of the craziest things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad he did that. Yeah, I you know people have mentioned that I I have a little gym uh, there and it's like uh huh. Um, so I, I, I do that. I do that from time to time. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I love I love his work and uh, he's uh, watching him when he was actually embodying the character and watching how small and precise he was. He's a really, really talented actor. Very so, talented. Very yeah. nice guy. Um, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you on a set? Wow. Weirdest thing that ever happened to me on a set. Uh, thinking about a time when I got I got booked to do a commercial, a friend of mine said, "Look, this is not going to be an easy shoot, but we'd like you know you could do this if if you want to. It doesn't pay a lot, but it's kind of challenging, you know." And I said, "Well, you know, I like a challenge. I'm an actor. I like a challenge." So I get there, went to Florida, and uh, the conceit was that I was. Uh, strapped to the wing of an airplane like a biplane and uh there were things flying by me and disappearing into the distance and this was pre-digital age so he had set up a practical rig where i was uh, laying on my back on a kind of a um uh girder mm -hmm. <laughs> for want of a better word uh that was hanging out over the stage floor by about I want to say 30, 35 feet. Okay. And they were up on the catwalk with the camera looking down at me so that there was a, a fairly large space behind me that they could drop things and they would recede into the background, yeah. into the distance and hit the floor, obviously. And then they had fans on me from either side. Yeah. And then, but I was hanging on. <laughs> I mean, I was strapped in pretty good. But I'm still, it would be like if you were on your back on a kind of a, kind of a log up over a, a chasm. Yeah. And, and I found that I, intellectually, I was fine with it. Yeah. But when I got my body up there, my body was saying, yeah. we have to get down. We have to get down now. And so I said, all right, my body was just freaking out. And I'm like, we're not going to be able to do this unless I can master this. So I said, just get me a rope and hang the rope down next to me. And in between takes, I will allow the body to hang onto the rope mm -hmm. and it'll chill it out. Yeah. And that's that's how we solved it, even though the rope would have been of no use. But I, I wasn't going to fall anyway. It just it really looked like I could have. And yeah. the body was totally convinced. You know, I, I, I refer to the body as distinct for myself because in that state it was. I, I was not terrified. I knew the guy showed me. Here it is. You're strapped in. We'll wheel you up there. We'll, you know, crank you up into that position. Then we'll shoot. I'm like, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. But the body didn't believe it. It's, 
Yeah, I, I felt the same way, uh, you know, on the top of the Willis Tower, not this year's oh, tower. Yeah. We're still referring to it as such. Uh, <clears throat> when you go outside into that cube and you're basically, you know, you're looking down and you know, you're intellectually, you know <laughs> that everything is okay. But as you're making that step, there is that thing in your body says, no, no. And you have to overcome it and, yeah. and to train your body that it's okay and you're fine. Yeah, I, I was fighting that pretty well. Yeah, that reminds me of Will Smith. You know, when Will Smith turned 50, we're talking about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air before. When, yeah. when he turned 50, I don't know if you saw, he challenged himself and uh, raised money for charity by bungee jumping out of a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And you can uh, see as he approaches, he's video, video, being videoed the whole way. And I've never seen a more serious Will Smith leading up to that moment. And then complete exuberance when he gets it over with. But up until that point, he's kind of like, you know, you can say, like, wow, is he, he's either going to throw up or he's going to start crying. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he had to overcome it, too. Yeah, I, I'm not that brave. Um, I, I, I will look at the people uh, fondly with admiration as they jump. <laughs> Uh, and I will say no thanks. I when we went zip lining, uh, it it took me a while just to go zip lining, and the only reason why I went the first time is because my five year old son went in front of me, and I didn't want to look like an idiot. Uh, you know, my five year old son, and he's in, you know, at, even at that age, they're just so intelligent. Where he knew that he didn't want to jump, but he wanted to do it. So he just mm. uh, kind of uh, looked at the person who was there and he said, can you just push me off? And the guy's like, are you sure? Yeah, push me off. Yeah, and he me went, off. he was very happy. And for me, I'm standing there, I'm the last one, everybody's looking up at me. You know, my little boy had just done it. And every part of me wanted to just say, no, thank you, I'm going down. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, yeah. I had to force myself to just put it on and literally jump. I couldn't think anymore. I just had to literally make that leap, and of course it was fine. And after that, we've uh, we've gone, uh, you know, many times in different locations. I've done it, and I'm fine. But you, that whole body uh, <laughs> perception, you have to get over it, and it's it's difficult. Yeah. Was it um, exhilarating? It was, and it's it's one of those moments where you're overcoming fear. And like on the other side of fear is where you find more, um, you find out more about yourself and you feel so great having done it mm. that you think that you can accomplish everything in life. So it's that drive that even those small little things that make you feel completely exhilarating uh, and uh, that that whole idea of what else can I do now to overcome my other fears? Um, so, and one of those was swimming with the sharks. And uh, we went to, we went to, I think Dominican, and uh, there was a huge uh, kind of tank, uh, you know, uh, in the ocean with um, um, their bottom feeders, and they're not, you know, they're not going to bite you unless you really just stick a, you know, your arm in their mouth. Uh, I forgot what they're called. Uh, nurse sharks. Nurse sharks. Uh, they're large. I mean, these are like, you know, 10, 15 feet uh, nurse sharks, and there were about 15 of them. And me and my whole family went into this tank and swam around and were swimming towards the sharks. And as you're doing that, they tell you it's fine. They've been fed. They don't care about humans. But seeing that thing and swimming towards it and then realizing that not only am I doing this to myself, I'm doing this. <laughs> To my wife and children, and you just have to put all, all of those thoughts out of your mind and do it, and then you feel like, oh my God, I just swim with the sharks. I know it's not the Great Barrier Reef, and I know it's you know it's not that level, but I you know I got there. I'm okay. There's something to it. It's it's a really weird thing to do to yourself. Cage go in the water, sharks in the water, yeah. you go in the cage, whole family in the cage. Farewell and adieu to your fair Spanish ladies. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, last question for you. Um, if, uh, if you had a chance to go and talk to a 
the young version of yourself that's just starting in acting and give one piece of acting advice, what would that be? Stick to impressions. It's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. Um, do more. Hey, yeah, do more impressions. Yeah. That's that's great. Uh, which may or may not be the title of this episode. Uh, stick to impressions. Stick to impressions. Uh, although it it would sound judgmental, and you know you're really good at other things, so I probably won't use it. Okay. Uh, um, Thank. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Alan. You're a very empathetic person. I, I, I wish you a lot of luck with your show. It's been wonderful talking to you. And it's uh, really appreciate all the things that you told me. Thank you, sir. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. I know you're having as much fun as we are, uh, you know, watching these. And uh, we love doing these. So thank you.